welcome to a new episode of Black Future Doctor, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the experiences of Black doctoral students in the UK. I'm Nina, a psychology PhD student from the University of Bath, and I'm your host. And today I have with me Alana Mortlock, who is studying for a PhD in Gender Studies at the London School of Economics. Hi Alana, thank you for being here with me today. Hi Nina, thanks for inviting me. No worries. First, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and the subject of your PhD? Yeah, sure. So as Nina said, I'm Alana Motlock and I'm in the second year of my ESRC funded PhD at the London School of Economics Department of Gender Studies. I am working on a project in the area of theorisations of blackness, black feminisms and identity theory. My topic is specifically looking at academic and popular media discourses of transracialism and how they interact with theorizations of blackness, taking a black feminist and trans theoretical perspective. So essentially, my questions are asking, if you look at the ways in which people talk about transracialism, what conceptualization of blackness do you need to have in order to imagine a coherent transracial identity and what do black feminist and black trans theorizations of blackness have to say about that conceptualization amazing could you unpack that a little bit for me so just kind of the key words and what they mean yeah sure so transracialism I guess is kind of the um headliner (laughs) and I think most people will be most familiar with the concept from the 2015 Rachel Dolezal scandal, Mm -hmm. where a woman called Rachel Dolezal, who was at the time the head of the local NAACP chapter and an academic in Africana studies at a local university, was outed in the media as having Caucasian biological parents, which then led to a scandal about her having presented herself as a black woman for the previous 12 or so years. Mm. And transracialism, when used conceptually, refers in general to the idea of one person changing racial identity, essentially, or adopting a racial identity that is different from the one they were born with. Mm -hmm. And when I say I'm looking at discourses of transracialism, it's because I'm not looking so much at the people themselves. So my study isn't really about Rachel Dolezal, or there was a re- recent case in America with a woman called Jessica Krog. I'm not really looking at those people or those stories themselves, but at the ways in which people discuss them and how that discourse is interacting with the ways in which people talk about blackness. Yeah, thank you. Great. Yeah, that was a really, too, really clear explanation so thank you for that that's no problem so when did you first consider pursuing a PhD and what made you interested in this topic yeah so I think maybe different from quite a lot of other people I've spoken to I have been thinking about taking a PhD since I was at school actually because when I was in sixth form which are the final two years of school in the UK Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist Mm -hmm. and I spoke to my then psychology teacher about it and he explained that the process of that would involve kind of going through um various stages including a PhD so even before I started my undergraduate degree that's kind of the path that I felt like I was on but then I started my psychology undergraduate degree and realized very quickly that the clinical life was just not 
for me, but I didn't think I wanted to be working with patients. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I really loved what I was doing. I really loved the field of psychology. So I thought that I would go into research psychology. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I still kind of had it in my head that I was moving in that sort of direction. And then after finishing my BSc, while I'd been studying, I'd kind of gotten involved in political struggles and activism around feminism and Mm anti-racism. And I wanted to find some way to kind of integrate that with my work, with my academic pursuits. So knowing that I was kind of still on this path towards academia, I decided to take an MSc in gender studies Mm -hmm. with the intention of moving back into psychology at the end of it. I think at that time... I wanted to work in kind of gender biases in diagnostics, in abnormal psychology. But over the course of my gender master's course, the psychology kind of uh, fell away at some point. Mm -hmm. And I ended up quite deeply embedded in um, black feminist epistemology studies. And yeah, that's how I sort of ended up in this subject area. Yeah, I think more specifically on my topic, I, well, podcasting is not a visual media, so people can't see, but I am the extreme of light-skinned. I'm mixed race, my mother is black Jamaican, my father is white English, and I'm very, very light-skinned with blue eyes and was born with blonde hair. So these questions around racial ambiguity and identity and belonging in relation to blackness have kind of always been present for me in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, or a lot of black feminists I know at least, when the Rachel Dolezal scandal first broke in 2015, I had a really emotionally violent response to it. I was so angry and found it very difficult to kind of articulate what about it was so personally and deeply offensive about it. And I think that's kind of where my interest first came from. And in fact, when I was first writing my PhD proposal, the questions I was thinking about were really, why is Rachel Dolezal not Black? And what is the difference between racial passing and transracialism? But then the more work I read, and particularly work from Black trans scholars like Kai M. Greed and Marquise Fay, who were working in this kind of area and calling for a different way of engaging with the concept of transracialism that really kind of I wouldn't say necessarily takes it seriously, but rather than only working to inauthenticate those identities, really asks questions about how they move and what effect they have Mm -hmm. and the politics of the concept, which in some ways I think are harder conversations to have. But I do think it opens a space to actually have new kinds of conversations, whereas those conversations about trying to inauthenticate them end up kind of rehearsing debates that have already been had. Mm. Yeah. So instead of kind of just blocking it off, you want to explore it and actually understand, okay, what what's at the heart of this? What's What's going on behind everything? I think for me, the questions that I'm kind of most interested in now are what has been the effect of this because it's it's undoubtedly happened now like it's out there (laughs) in the Mm. atmosphere and these articles these academic and journalistic articles are being written about it these conversations are being had Mm. and 
if there's no directed effort from people who have a commitment to black women and black trans people, then those discussions are going to continue to happen, but not necessarily a critical response to what the potential harm of those conversations is to those within blackness who are still the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It Does this kind of, I may be completely off of this, um, but I just know in the media a lot of the moment, there's a lot about like black fishing. Mm. Um, does that kind of come within your remit or would you say that's something a bit different? It's definitely something that I have a lot of thoughts about. (laughs) I'm not sure whether it's going to make it into the thesis yet, but I think I've kind of started a couple of blog posts about it and not finished any of them yet because it's, I think it does fall under this umbrella of the objectification and the commercialization of blackness Mm -hmm. and the fetishization of particularly black women's bodies as exotic And now in the kind of the world that we live in now in this contemporary moment, the fetishization of the exotic as when associated with certain bodies, the fetishization of the exotic as a marker of class. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of the easiest demonstration of that would be when you think about kind of colorism in communities of color. But when you look at white communities, the sense of luxury that's attached to something like a tan yeah because of the association with the exotic with the tropical so when those kinds of visual markers are attached to certain kinds of bodies they hold very different connotations than they do when they're attached to black and brown bodies and i think that black fishing falls under that same phenomenon that we're seeing at the moment yeah okay so I know you mentioned earlier that you're ESRC funded, mm-hmm. um, and I am too, but I think we're different training partnerships. Could you tell me a bit more about how you went about navigating the application process? Yeah, absolutely. So I was extremely fortunate in that I had I applied to the department where I did my master's and was very fortunate to have access to a lot of really great support and advice. That said, it's still one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Yeah. And I think it's really important to kind of talk about that more because everyone I know who's applied for a PhD found it extremely taxing, not only in terms of the kind of work you're asked to produce, but the anxiety that comes with it as well. Mm -hmm. But yes, so I applied to the LSE Department of Gender Studies, which is where I did my master's. And so I was very lucky in that I had contacts with the department. I was able to speak to people that when I had been a master's student there, I had spoken to about my intention to pursue a PhD Mm -hmm. and the possibility of me returning to that department to do so. I was very, again, very fortunate in that at the LSE, you don't have to apply for funding if the department extends an offer to you, they apply to the funding board on your behalf because the, I have to admit, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but our doctoral partnership works in a way so that the decision is made by a funding board at the LSE. Okay. So the department takes your uh, proposal to the funding board and makes the argument that they would like to take you on as a PhD student and then the decision is made from there so again I feel very fortunate not to have had to 
go through that process because having watched friends do it it looks extremely difficult but yeah I think I was extremely fortunate to have because I'm the first person in my family to pursue a PhD so it's not Mm. as if I was kind of able to look for advice or support or hot tips from um, (laughs) from personal relationships so I was really fortunate to be able to reach out to previous mentors for advice yeah and I think that's a really important point when thinking about pursuing a PhD like you know use the connections you've got Mm -hmm. reach out to people that you've met and see if they've got any advice they can help in any way I think a lot of lecturers are really kind of happy to help students get their foot in the door I would really agree. And I think that unfortunately, as black students, I think we are still less likely to kind of get that tap on the shoulder Mm. or less likely to have that conversation be initiated from the other party. So unfortunately, I think the responsibility is going to usually fall onto the students' shoulders for black students. But it is really important to let people know, especially if you're thinking about wanting return to that department. But in any case, because you'll need references and even if you're not applying to that department, they might be happy to look over your application. But allowing or not allowing, alerting academics around you to the fact that you're considering pursuing academia as a career path, I think is a really important step, really from as early as you start considering it. Yeah. So what do you enjoy the most about your PhD? I think probably writing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, don't get me wrong I also I also truly deeply hate it sometimes <laughs> and I always somehow manage to forget that 80% of the writing process is just like crawling through broken glass mm. and spending whole days trying to write one sentence that you're entirely sure that the entire chapter is balancing on getting this one uh, this one sentence right yeah but the other 20% that is just complete flow state bliss i think makes it worth it at least i have to tell myself that <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's encouraging to hear because I think you often hear the opposite. Yeah. And what's the biggest lesson you've learned so far? I think that there is so much more to the PhD than the thesis, Mm -hmm. which I kind of knew before I started in that I knew that there would also kind of be teaching and opportunities to go to conferences and that kind of thing. But I don't think I realised before I started how... Well, I I guess it may differ depending on subject area, but at least for humanities and social sciences, how important it is to publish, how important it is to have that teaching experience. Mm -hmm. It's not kind of a nice thing that you can do if you want to pursue a career in academia. You need that teaching experience. You need to publish. Mm -hmm. You need to network, which is something that I (laughs) had never considered before and I'm still not the biggest fan of. And those things are exciting and if you want to have a career in academia those are the things that you'll be doing anyway so they're not kind of additional unrelated hoops that you have to jump through like it's all part of that kind of vocational training on how to be an academic at the end of a PhD but it's something that you need to kind of think about and plan for and I think it's important to start thinking about it from the first year because the time goes quickly note taken (laughs) we've kind of touched on it a bit but 
what motivates you to keep going despite the challenges of a PhD? I don't know if this sounds like a strange answer, but I really think it's my project. Mm -hmm. Because I think of my project as being much bigger than I am. Or I think of it as as existing separately to me. Mm -hmm. Because as I kind of said earlier, when I was first thinking about this project, I had a very different set of questions and investments. And then through the process of reading work by these scholars that I admire so much who'd kind of written on the topic I arrived at the questions that I'm now at and I believe that body of scholarship and that kind of joint enterprise of looking at these questions is really important and I want to do justice to it yeah I've kind of ended up at these questions that are the legacy of so much amazing academic work that's come before me and has really led me to this place like I don't think my project was generated from inside me it is very much generated by the literature and I've been very lucky to kind of stumble onto it and I just want to produce something that I think is worthy of the questions that I found. Hmm. It sounds like you take like real pride in your project which I think is so important for motivation you know when you're doing a PhD the topic you choose you've got to live and breathe for Mm. three plus years you've got to have that like I don't know if reverence is the right word but yeah no I agree and people will ask so my PhD is four years it's a three plus Mm. one with an MPhil in the first year and people will say wow four years on one project that's a really long time which it is (laughs) it definitely is but I think I think it's a perspective shift that kind of happened for me in the first year mm-hmm. where I wrote my literature review in the first year and spending so much time with this work from generations of Black feminists and Black queer and Black trans scholars who had produced this amazing political, emotional, critical work about Blackness and about identity and about Black communities it made the project feel like something I was joining rather than yeah. something I was creating. Yeah, like you're contributing to this bigger body of knowledge. Exactly, exactly. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I've just got one last question, and that is, what is one piece of advice you would give to other Black people considering pursuing a PhD? I think the... Well, what we were saying earlier about kind of letting your professors or your lecturers know that it's something you're considering. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is, so I've actually recently written a contribution for a book that the Black Scholarship Collective is putting together. Um, And the topic I wrote about was working with a supervisor who doesn't specialise in your area. Mm -hmm. Because my supervisor is amazing. I adore working with her we have a great relationship but her research expertise is not in black feminism or theorizations of blackness mm-hmm. she has good knowledge but it's not her area of expertise and this book contribution I wrote was about how there is a dearth of black scholars at that professor level mm-hmm. in the UK and it means that for black students who are well of course black students hoping to work in black studies but also black students working in 
all kinds of disciplines and subject areas who may be wanting to look at race as part of their project or may just be looking for a department where there may be some kind of community or kinship Mm -hmm. that it can feel like there isn't really a home in UK academia and I think that it's certainly something I felt and it's something that I know that other black students in higher education I know have felt but I also think it's really important to remember that you don't need to have exactly the same research interest as your supervisor to have a really successful supervision relationship. Mm -hmm. I think my piece of advice would be to take other things into consideration when looking at supervisors beyond just looking for someone who has the closest research interests to yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really smart advice. Similar with the project, you know, you're going to be working usually with the supervisor for three plus years. It's not just about speciality. Exactly. Brilliant. All right. That's all the questions I had today. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alana. No problem. This was really fun. For those of you listening at home, what are your thoughts on this episode? Transracialism is such an important and interesting topic. I honestly can't wait to see more of Alana's work in the future. As always, please tag any comments on social media with the hashtag BlackFutureDoctor and feel free to leave a review. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Monday. I'll see you all then.